As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there and welcome to the show. It's brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball. Michael Normanson on Zoom. Uh, from the square ball and Phil Hay from the athletic one quiet week, Phil, it's all we asked for one quiet week. Um, this is the last Phil Hay show. That's going to be on the athletic feed. We are moving over after a short break over to the square ball feed. Just right from the top. I want to say thank you to the athletic for having us for the last two and a half years. It's been fun doing this. So it's not stopping. Uh, th- thank yeah. you to you guys for producing it as well. It's been great. Yeah. And we've done a hell of a lot of downloads. That's like four and a half million. So if you've listened over the last two and a half years, Thank you so much. Indeed. We, we are not stopping. We are continuing. It's going to be over on the square ball feed after we've had a break. Not that it feels like we can have a break, but we'll get onto that in a second. And it will also be on YouTube because we'll be producing it for ourselves after the break. You will see all the episodes on YouTube. You get to see Phil's glorious face as well as Michael's and perhaps if you're very unlucky mine. But that will be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, on with the show. Final one here. And uh, a story that you and Adam Crafton have broke on The Athletic. We have to lead off on that. Broken, I think Bro- my mother would say. Yeah. Broken. Yeah, You've I think bro- so. I think you've, she'd want the correct grammar. You broke the story. The story is broken. Right. So we need to be careful with this one, we need to say. Yes. From a legal standpoint. So if anybody hasn't read the story, can you explain to us what the story is and where we are? Okay, will you chip in with any questions if I'm rambling a little bit? Because there's a, a lot to um a lot to cover with this. But clearly at the moment there is a takeover situation at Ellen Road in that People are looking for Radrazani to sell to 49ers Enterprises. 49ers Enterprises want to buy the club this summer, irrespective of, of relegation. And that may well still happen, is still being discussed, but is not agreed as we speak. At the same time, Radrazani has been away in Italy as part of a group of bidders over there who are attempting to purchase Sampdoria, who have some hideous debts and are looking at points deductions and were um, up against it in terms of timescales to sort their accounts out to register for Serie B and to avoid further demotions having dropped out of, of Serie A. Radrazani and the group over there, as of Tuesday night, announced that they had a deal in place, agreement in place for them to to buy Sampdoria. That includes uh, a group over there called Gestio Capital. And there's also been some involvement from our old friends Qatar Sports Investments, QSI, who have sort of been vaguely linked with Leeds over the years, but obviously own Paris Saint-Germain. What we discovered was that a document had been produced, a bank document with an Italian bank called Banca Sistema for a loan of 30 million euros, which is around about 26 million pounds, which the paperwork 
was for it was a head head of terms agreement, which is essentially a, an agreement in principle. So not a final agreement, not a loan that's been officially approved, but the basis of a deal with the bank to lend twenty six million pounds to this group to help with the purchase of Sampdoria. And what was contained within this document was a line and, and details which showed that the security for this loan had it been taken out would have been Legionated's Ellen Road Stadium. That would have acted as collateral uh, when this loan was given, which in effect, had it had it happened, would have meant that had there been uh, a financial implosion at Sampdoria further down the, uh, the line, uh, had the bank not been paid back its money that, that it was owed, it could have used Ellen Road potentially to have raised the cash that, that was due to it. Now, there's no charge at present on Companies House um, against Ellen Road, which there would be had this gone ahead. So our assumption, and, and from what we've been told, it hasn't actually moved forward. It doesn't look like that is going to happen. It doesn't look like the loan will be put in place and therefore Ellen Road will not be used as collateral against that loan. But the very fact that it was considered in the first place and the very fact that it was offered up is a big concern and absolutely worth writing about, hence the story. A charge at Companies House is a um, it's a legal agreement then that, that means you can or cannot do certain yes. things. And because Ellen Road is part owned by Acer, that's Andrea Radrazani's company, and partly by the 49ers, they're the minority shareholder in that, as far as the most recent filing show. Is that correct, yeah? Yeah, again, this this needs a bit of explanation, but people remember that Ellen Road was first sold back in 2004, um, and there was a buyback agreement which ran right to the end of this current decade that we're in, and nobody really got close to buying it until Radrazani did shortly after his takeover in 2017. But it was him who bought the, cl- uh, the ground. It wasn't the club, and the club didn't take ownership of it. It was bought by a company called Greenfield, that, that he, uh, one of his established firms. It has since passed on to a different firm called Ellen Road Limited, of which he is a director. He holds the minority, uh, the majority stake Sorry, in um, Ellen Road Limited. The 49ers have a minority stake in it. They have a representative on the board too, which is Colin Meader, um, one, of the, um, one of the high-ranking officials. Angus Kinnear, Chief Executive at Leeds is also on there, along um, with a, a representative from Acer. What was significant, aside from the fact that it had even been suggested that Ellen Road could be collateral for a, a deal to buy a different club entirely, was that from our understanding, the 49ers, 49ers Enterprises were not aware that this was being used, that this agreement was even being discussed, this loan. Likewise, Angus Kinnear and also represent other representatives at, at Acer, which is Radrazani's own investment firm. So there were a lot of questions to be asked and, and it didn't become apparent to these other parties that this had been even proposed until we started asking questions about it. Until so we, 49ers didn't know, other people at the club didn't know? No. Uh, as far as we can tell and, and as far as we're informed, no. It was being done in Italy. It was being done away from, you know, it's been done as part of this really, really rapid process to try and get Sampdoria sold and for Radrazani's group to, to try to try and get the deal done to, to buy it. As I say, on the basis that there is no charge against um, Ellen Road in the accounts and on Companies House, it doesn't look as if this loan did proceed. Just but, pause for a second there, because I think I was just going to explain the, the idea of the charge, just yes. for anybody listening who do, does, I don't know what that means. So Companies House is where people register company details. If there is um, borrowing secured against Ellen Road Limited, for example, that will be registered in the form of a document that's called a charge, where you, be, you can look at it, it's publicly accessible, and there's nothing there at the minute to suggest that that deal is in place. There's no security on Ellen Road from the Italian bank. Yes. So if Bankers uh, Sistema were to approve this loan and process this loan, and it includes Ellen Road as security, they then apply this document on Companies House, which states, we have an interest here. We have a, a, a charge, a mortgage, whatever it is, that's protected in certain circumstances. 
and that is registered. There is actually one from 49ers Enterprises already on there, which goes back to 2020, around the time when they bumped their first bumped their shareholding at Leeds United up significantly. And as I say, they do have a shareholding in Elland Road or in Elland Road Limited, this this company, that company's house. But because at the moment there is no charge on there from Bank Sistema or anybody else um, related to this Sampdoria deal, we assume and we've been told that what was proposed, you know, the idea that Ellen Road might be collateral for this um, £26 million loan has not gone ahead and won't go ahead. In terms of the charge from the 49ers then, because they're the minority shareholder in Ellen Road, that just gives them certain protections, doesn't it? That- I, I would assume so, but I'm guessing slightly there. I don't yeah. I don't entirely know. And it's been there for it's been there for a while now. The assumption was always when Radrazani bought the ground that even though it wasn't owned by Leeds United, that when it came to a takeover, a full takeover from him and he sold the club and was no longer in control, that Elland Road would feature as part of that. I don't think it was necessarily an absolute given that it was, but I think that was the the picture that they they tried to p- portray. And again, it would be very helpful on a lot of fronts to get answers from Radrazani or for, uh, from 49ers Enterprises themselves. But it would make sense to me if the 49ers were talking about this major development of Ellen Road, which they have been, you know, that central part of their structure um, for the plans in, in the years ahead, that they would want to actually own the ground outright as opposed to um, redeveloping it when somebody else had the, the rights to most of the deeds. So it may well have been, and it may well still be, that that if a takeover goes ahead, that that is factored in. But as it stands at the moment, the structure is still that Radrazani has the majority share in Ellen Road. And the long and short of these documents was that when this, um, you know, this agreement in principle was drawn up, Ellen Road was in there as the collateral that was going to be used effectively for a loan which was going to buy Sampdoria. Now, we'll bring Michael in in a second because I want to get like a fan's perspective on, on how this looks. But first of all, worth documenting what Radrazani's response is as well because you, you know, got to contact him and ask him if he has any comment on, on the story and he has responded and what did he say? Well, Radrazani is the only person who's responded. We haven't had official comment from... 49ers Enterprises, we haven't had official comment from Leeds United. We did get in touch with Gestio Capital. Again, um, there was uh, t- to this point, there's been no response from them. Radrazani's response was essentially to say, I'll read you the quote here, what Ace of Ventures does with its assets, which includes several companies, including Leeds United, Greenfield and Elland Road, it's none of your business. He also said, you can do what you want, but you're just trying to put Leeds United fans against myself. It is not nice. It is not nice. Relegation wasn't nice either. And seeing the owner of the club buying another club, well, the one that he currently owns, was getting being in the process of being relegated, wasn't particularly nice either. Um, it's not nice, Michael. Do you have much sympathy for Andrea Radrazani? I mean, Phil, it's Phil, I can't believe you've been so horrible. <laughs> what were you, how could you? How could you be not nice to him? I mean, the response that he has given is, I mean, it's worrying in two respects, really. The, the aspect of this is my business, you keep your nose out of it, was it feels like a bit of a return to the um, the old Ken Bates days in that respect that he was... Because under Adrizani, he's tried to be, as when he bought the stadium, he was trying to be more, we're growing this together, we're all on a journey, which I know is, to a degree, always going to be bullshit when you're talking about someone someone rich trying to make money from a football club. But there was, it felt like there was a, a sort of consensus there that he would make money of it, but we would become better. This feels like a bit of a shift towards... It's none of your business what I do. I'm trying to, I need to look after myself here is how that bit of it feels. And then, and then to come back and say, essentially, it feels like he's saying, oh, stop having a go at me. <laughs> it's, it's what the, it's not nice bit comes down to. It just feels, it feels hugely childish. And also it's just a complete 
I suppose, a complete disregard for his own actions. He's, he's kind of, he must realise how this appears and yet seems completely unaware, unaware of the consequences of it um, in, in terms of his own PR. It's not in dispute at all that he owns Leeds United or the majority share in Leeds and, and likewise with Ellen Road. But this is not the same conversation as it would be if you're talking about some of his other assets. So 11 Sports, which, OK, no, has been bought out by the zone. But, you know, back when that existed, that was a broadcast broadcast company of his. He has new studios that's been involved in the, the Amazon documentary productions and, you know, Acer with other interests away from football. I think applying the argument of I can do what I like with those is legitimate. You know, that that's fine. They're, they're your businesses. It's, it's your decision. But when you come round to Leeds United, and I think particularly the venue where a football club plays and stadium that's been there for as long as Ellen Road has been, it's a completely different discussion. And I think however you see it and, and you know, whatever it says on on the paperwork about who owes, who owns what, you know, who, who has control of it, it is seen as a community asset in the way that a football club is seen as a community club, something that matters to the city, something that's important to the city and something that, that needs to, to be protected. So if, you know, if, for example, these, uh, this agreement in principle had said that 11 Sports were, it, were still to be you know, operational as it was before was the collateral for Sampdoria, nobody over here would have batted an eyelid. You know, people would say, well, that's entirely your decision. You know, that, that's your business. But because it is the club stadium, that is is being offered in that way or potentially offered in that way, it is naturally going to cause a lot of concern and a lot of frustration, a lot of anger. One question I have about the about the amount of money. You've mentioned there all of his other business interests. Isn't he meant to be rich? Because I know 26, 27 million pounds, whatever it was, I know it's a lot for us, but I don't know, it feels like it, not a huge amount of money for someone who's meant to be moving in, in the circles that he does. But this is always the thing about wealthy individuals is that a lot of the wealth is tied up in assets. It's never always, or not always clear uh, how much liquid cash they actually have, you know, how much available money. I've seen this with other prospective owners over the years or people who are touted as having an interest with leads and, and they'll be reported as having, you know, a, a, a wealth of X number of millions, sometimes in the hundreds. But how much of that they can, they can actually access is another matter. I, I think I mentioned this on a podcast before, but I remember back when one takeover process was going on and it was being spoken about how much cash the, the potential buyer had, somebody getting, getting in touch with me and saying, I'm, I'm a solicitor, I'm acting at the moment for a family who, if you wanted to talk about them in the same way, you would say are worth something in the region of £100 million. But if they wanted to buy a 15 grand car tomorrow, they'd have to get a loan because they don't have access to the cash. So it's not that they're not technically wealthy or they don't have assets that they could sell to make themselves wealthy but it's not necessarily the case that they're instantly able to do that and it's not necessarily the case that they have a bank account loaded with cash that they can just throw around all over the place and I think one thing you have to say about Radrazani at Leeds is it will have cost him a fair amount of money here it wasn't you know it was, it was said many times when they're in the championship that he was having to put in you know a million to one and a half million a month to cover costs and okay some of that will have been loans you know some of that you, you assume will come back to him as and when a, a takeover is done but it never feels like people generally get wildly rich in football. It's that old saying, isn't it? It's a report in Scotland who always says, in order to make a small fortune in football, you need to start with a big one. I think the thing that's difficult for me to stomach from a fan's perspective, in my opinion, is the way that the repurchase of Ellen Road was painted as a Leeds United thing when that happened. When was it, 2017? 2017 it yeah. was, yeah. Very much painted as a Leeds United thing. And reading the wording of that response from Radrazani that 
makes it very, very clear that it's an Acer thing, in his opinion, based on that response. I think that's a fair comment, yeah. And I think that is exactly what I'm saying about the difference between a purely commercial business, which is yours and, and everything else, and, and an asset that you've taken on that actually has a much wider community value. I mean, it was in 2017 declared an, an asset of community value by the, the council, and it, and it is. You know, um, until Leeds leave the Elland Road site, which, you know, no prospect of them doing, because the plan has always been to redevelop it, or has been for the past, past few years, until they, they leave that site, that site is always going to be there for football. That is always going to be where Leeds United play. And that's the that's the core function of it. That's what, what matters most. And it, I don't think you'll find many, if any, fans who like the idea of their club stadium being used as collateral, potentially, in a deal to buy another club that has nothing to do with them. I mean, you can't put yourself in his shoes, but um, I do dare say Angus Kinnear may now understand why fans generally favour an independent regulator when you see things like this. Well, you, you get quite a lot of this in football and, and things that from time to time make you feel that regulation is not tight enough and regulation could be better and regulation could be valuable. Um, I've, I've always been on the side of the fence which says the independent regular, regulator, to my mind, seems like a really good idea. The fact that it could, you know, if, if there's government involvement in it or pol- political involvement in it, then you're inclined to feel that it might end up being a shambles. But the principle seems to, to make sense. And, and this is... This, along with the fact that the amounts of money involved in football now are just going off the scale, seems to be a good reason why. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Given this deal doesn't seem to have gone through, that Rajasani has got the money from somewhere, where do you think this leaves us in terms of him getting that money? Because it was always talked about as a loan. So is there anything to stop him just thinking of the next step for Leeds United? Is there anything to stop him selling something else we own, like Willie Nonto, to, to repay his, uh, his loans? I would imagine that would be difficult, again, because money would be coming into the club and you, you then have a boardroom in which it's split 56-44. So it's not as easy as just going, I'll take this. Um and, and going with it. I mean, we saw the example with Jack Harrison on deadline day, didn't we? That, exactly. Uh, there were yeah. differences there. Yeah, no, uh, very much so. And I think the, the feeling or the hope, certainly on the 49ers side, was that because the deal had been done with Sampdoria, and Radrazani announced that publicly, you know, he's quoted as saying, this is done, we, we own the club. I think the hope was that that would then move quickly down the line towards them buying leads. Radrazani exiting, taking his money to Sampdoria and, and you, using it as, as he saw fit. I've kind of felt coming into this summer that I think I said on the last podcast it felt like he'd run out of road, um, and I and I still do feel like that even more so as a result of this today. And I think the appetite for a transition and, and a change of ownership will be will be bigger than ever. No, 
you've preempted my next question, actually, because I was going to say, in your opinion, is there a way back from Radrazani from this? Because I think, you know, we saw the statement that he put out, by the way, which we should touch on, I guess. The statement that he put out from his account, it was on Ace Adventures headed uh, letterhead. Sorry, it wasn't on paper, but um, the digital version of. And it wasn't carried on the Legion, official Legion United channels. It wasn't retweeted by the official Legion United channels. I don't, I don't think that was accidental. I don't think that was coincidental that it didn't appear on there. Um, I think it was a conscious decision not to do that. I think um, it seemed like it was just Radrazani saying his piece on Acer and it made it look like he was very much out on his own. Because that wasn't well received and the fact that it only came from him and not the club itself felt like he was speaking for the, for the 56% rather than the 100% of Leeds United. Well, the communication is not good enough at the moment. It, it isn't. And there's so much to explain. There's so much to answer. The plan was for Sam Allardyce to be in today to speak to the club. I really don't think that's going to head down the road of, of him getting an offer to be head coach. But if he goes, if that's, um, if that's done and dusted, then there's one position that needs to be filled. Director of football squad, you know, the Chana, I've done a, a long piece today on what I think will happen with every player. And I think the answer with a fair few of them is that they will go. You know, I think that there will be a lot of exits. But more than anything, it's the it's the ownership, isn't it? That's what everybody's asking. And, and that's the only thing at this stage that can give anybody a, a clear picture of, of where we're headed. I mean, the wheels have sort of tried to turn at Elland Road this week and it's mainly fallen on Kinnear to um, kind of keep the show on the road. Just sort of, preliminary or non-committal discussions with potential um, head coaches. Likewise, you know, trying to think about who might be director of football, all this sort of stuff, but nothing that anybody can actually push the button on until we know whose decision it is and and who has overall authority. And we're we're just about into June now, or if you're listening on Friday, then we are into June. And okay, that leaves two months until the start of the season. At the time of recording, it is June, Phil. How is it? (laughs) Is it the first of June today? I can't keep up, to be quite honest. All I know is this is going to be a very, very long summer. The the, Um, the pertinent thing is that we're two weeks out from the transfer window. Yeah. And we've got got no manager, no director of football. Um, We're about 20 days away from the fixtures coming out. Um, You don't don't need everything in place for the fixture list getting announced. I mean, I'm I'm not being being daft about that. Um, But until you have a decision in the boardroom about what is happening, who is going to run this next season, whether it's going to stick at this 56-44 split, because I do not get the impression that the 49ers want to exit. Whatever happens, I don't get the impression that they're all sitting around saying, if we can't get this, we'll sell a 44%. Maybe that will happen, but it doesn't feel at the moment like that's in the, the minds at all. But they do want to, they do want majority control. They do want to do that. But it's going to need to get to the point where we know and where they know before somebody can actually start saying on the list of head coaches, we'll have him. On the list of directors of football or heads of recruitment, however they're going to do it, we'll have him and him. Players, they're going, they're staying. All the things that a football club are supposed to do. Just returning to that point of of the way back for, for Radrazani, he put out the statement, it's been followed hot on the heels by this story the day after. It does feel like it doesn't leave him a particularly glorious path Back to Ellen Road, does it, in, in your opinion? No, and he wasn't here for the last game of the season where they got relegated. So that alone makes it... And I know that he had everything going on with Sampdoria, but that feels like... Uh, it, or it looks, to use your phrase, optics, it, it looks like somebody whose head and eyes are elsewhere. You know, the club that you actually own are going down. club that you don't own, you're trying to buy it looks like somebody who's who's on the way out. Yeah, given that I've pinched the word optics from Succession, that's finished this week. Yeah, and so if nothing you, they can do about it. No, yeah, I was going to say, no no spoiler alerts in here, but um, what's happened this week at Leeds feels very fitting with the ending of that TV show. I will say that. I haven't watched the end of it, but I certainly shall. 
It's very, very good. Um, in terms of the, the staying and the going, I guess we're just into speculative territory, aren't we? If uh, nothing's resolved at, at boardroom level at the time of recording. Do you think we can expect a resolution on that anytime soon? And will it allow us to kick in plans for next season? And what will they look like in terms of playing staff? I think there's surely got to be, uh, this surely got to come to a head at boardroom level now, whether it's over the next couple of days, but very, very quickly in order for them to to actually start making active decisions. I mean, there was a meeting on Tuesday at which Kinnear told the staff, the general staff, day-to-day staff, non, non-playing staff, that there wouldn't be redundancies and there wouldn't be wage cuts. And I don't think that would have been Kinnear's decision. You know, that must have come above him. So to a certain point, they are able to make some operational calls, but they, the hands are tied to the extent where there are a hell of a lot of calls that they can't make at all at the moment. I, I think on the playing side, there'll be plenty of departures. I think some will be, some you could guess at very easily. I think people like Melee, Harrison, Sinistera, uh, Rocker, uh, Robin Koch, players like that, I, I expect to go. Um, certainly expect offers to come in for, and I think the club will consider offers for them. Uh, Rodrigo too. A few departures that might cause a bit more surprise. Somerville and Stroik seem to be two that have been earmarked as, as possibles to leave if, if the offers are good enough. They would love to keep Tyler Adams if they can. I think they see him as the sort of guy that would be, be great to build the squad around. But there is Premier League interest in him. I think that's going to be a real challenge. Nonto too, like to keep in the building. And quite interesting one as well is that I do think Jorginho Ruta will stay. I think they will keep him, give him a whirl in the Championship, even... You know, despite the fact that he came in for such a high fee in January, I think he will probably stick around. I kind of want him to. I want to see him play, play his way into success and, and find his, his groove at Leeds. What about you, Michael? I think that with a lot of the players, going down is an opportunity for a lot of them. People who would maybe have had loans this coming season, people like Matteo Joseph and maybe Archie Gray or Sonny Perkins, people like that who you may have been looking to get out the door while more expensive players came in and, you know, send them out to, as Cody Drama and Creswell have done, send them out to Luton and Millwall, places like that. I guess it gives them the chance to develop at Leeds now. And I think developing at your actual own team does give you an advantage versus doing it on loan because, I mean, it doesn't always feel like the investment's there when you get a loan player in. Sometimes people are, clubs can be a bit hesitant to use those people. I think Leeds will actually use the loan market. I do think they'll be quite active in it for financial reasons partly but I think as well you, you can pick up some pretty talented talented footballers if you're, you're clever with it but Michael's absolutely right I think there's been a lot of investment at academy level over the past four or five years and you wouldn't say that it's necessarily flowed, flowed through brilliantly into the, the first team but perhaps this is the point at which some of that can can be far more effective and, and have a bigger impact Darko JB, Archie Gray like um, Mike was saying, he's actually been around for, for a long time, so not one of the ones that Leeds have spent money to to bring in. But Matteo Joseph, Sonny Perkins, Cody Dramme too, you would think that people like that and, and Creswell, especially given that some Gilhart too, given that some of them have been in the Championship and done well in the Championship, it seems like an open goal, doesn't it? To say, right, okay, well, let's rely on some of these, add around them, hopefully hold on. I, I mean, for example, I think somebody like Max Verber would be would be great to to cling on to if they could. I think there's probably quite a chance that somebody like Rasmus Christensen will stay. I don't think that I don't think there'd be a huge amount of money on offer for him anyway. I, would be my feeling. Um, so perhaps they can make more of him in the championship. Um, but I think if you if you're going down and the kids that you've invested in 
aren't of any use in a lower division than the division in which you've signed them, then you really have to ask what what the point of any of it was. My only fear with that approach is that with the amount of churn you're talking about, you possibly need some more experienced heads in there. I think so. I think some yeah. real... I'm not saying some grizzled championship bastards, but that's basically what it, I'm angling at. It needs to be a blend, doesn't it? I think that's why they would love it if somebody... If, if you had a team that, that had Adams in the midfield and Ferber at the back, and then you were able to do... What do you say, grizzled, grizzled championship bastards? bastards yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a it's a niche um, a niche <laughs> market, but it does exist. That I think that's that's how you do it. I think it is making sure that the the kind of grizzled championship bastards that you sign <laughs> are not talentless and devoid of that because quality is is usually what makes a team good. But there, there will be money coming in from the players that they sell. There'll clearly be money going out because championship clubs make big losses and relegation always has um, big expenses tied to it. But as I say, you do feel like the younger core need to be crucial here because if the younger core aren't crucial in the championship, then what they've been doing over the past four or five years at academy levels just feels like a waste of time. And, and do you look at the some of the availability of some players in the championship and think there are some ripe for the picking from a Leeds perspective? For example, Joel Pirro, who's at Swansea, final year of his contract, I believe, knows the division, has scored plenty of goals in the division. He's still young in the sense that he's 23. So I They, they t- looked at him as well, right at the end of the um, summer window when they were messing about with Gakpo and Bamba Dieng. And then we had that kind of weird stretch on deadline day the last few hours where it was really quiet. And, and in the end, they did Nonto. Pirro, along with Brereton Diaz at Blackburn, was somebody who was discussed, um, didn't get uh, down the line didn't didn't get anywhere with it and clearly that was under a, a former uh, recruitment project that, that Victor Otto was overseeing and, and will no longer but yeah I, I think I think you can be savvy like that if you use the low market you can get players who are better um, than, than championship level if you can get some of the better players in the championship too then then you can set yourself up nicely I, I'm just conscious of us talking about this in theory and knowing that the, the practicalities of it are pretty tough I mean, for me, is that not what, what we need to do is raid the best of the championship, Michael? I mean, that was the promise when we uh, came up to the Premier League, wasn't it? Best of the championship. And in the end, I don't think we signed anyone from from there. So it's who buys them, isn't it? I think that's the problem at the moment. I don't know who is who is in the building working anymore because Radrazani is absent, Otto's gone. Kinnear, I'm sure, has plenty on his plate at the moment. So who is who is the person making phone calls at the moment? There is still a recruitment team there, the core of the recruitment team, uh, team the scouting department is still there some left with Otter like Gabby Ruiz who is his um, head of European recruitment they've they've gone but there are others there who can who, who at least allow them to do a bit of a audit of the squad to start sifting through who goes who stays everything else and obviously Kinnear can influence that when it comes to money you know other players that they just literally cannot afford to, to keep wage wise but even so as soon as you appoint a head of recruitment director, football sporting director, whatever it is, and a head coach, then their opinions and their decisions come into play as well. And I would think, given that anybody arriving as head coach knows that they they've got to compete next season, the, the crowd are not going to be tolerant of a kind of mediocre, floating around doing not very much, finishing tenth season. You'd want some. Without understanding these days that you know head coach manager very rarely has total autonomy or control over how a squad's built, you would want a fair amount of control in being able to see who stays and, and who leaves. Is this what we need to see though from Leeds going at it aggressively, no half measures? It feels like we cannot. I know we're saying we can't afford to stand still, and it feels like we're in stasis at the minute until the ownership situation 
is resolved or at least clarified, whichever it may be. But from a, a fan's perspective, surely we need to see them going at the championship aggressively. And the expenditure to do that, particularly if you bring a lot of money in from outgoings, it's not prohibitive, is it, versus the sums that are getting bandied around in the Premier League? It can be done. It definitely can be done. It just strikes me that there probably hasn't been, or well, there haven't been too many summers where Leeds needed literally everything. They need a change in the boardroom. They need a head coach. They need a director of football or a another in that, that mould. They need players to leave en masse, probably. They need players to come in en masse. It's right from top to bottom. It's absolutely everything needs um, needs sorted out and, and there's a huge amount to do. But you're right. They do need to be aggressive with it. And, and one of the reasons is that the parachute payments decrease year on year. So, okay, over time as well, what we always talk about, player churn, you start to shed players on higher wages who came down with you who you perhaps want to get rid of. But, you know, it's, it's hard to do that quickly and you have to give it time. But your income drops as well because the parachute payments go and you essentially go back to being championship club with championship funds plus whatever your your shareholders can put in so I think it's the, the idea of every club that comes down now is that way, way, way back when you wanted to get promoted because you didn't want to be outside the top division and that still applies but there's a massive financial aspect to it now which kind of drives on any club that drops out of the Premier League knowing that you, you really do need to do it quickly and you run out of things to sell as well don't you so you come down and you've got quite a lot of sell, uh, saleable assets you know, so even if you do sell Robin Cock for 15 million, which is one of the stories that was doing the rounds this week, it's 15 million quid goes a long way in the championship and it gets, you know, a high wage off the off the books, doesn't it? And you only kind of get one chance to do that, to shed the, the the big money players and bring quite a lot in and team that up with your parachute payment. So the dice are loaded in your favour, aren't they, when you come down to the championship? They are. Um, the, the challenge that you have is the um, wage bill that you carry. And okay, Leeds will be trimmed really heavily because a lot of players will be taking hefty wage cuts. Anytime you talk to a club that's having financial issues or problems or pressures, people will, will always say, and, and this comes to recruitment as well, it doesn't actually tend to be the fees that are the problem because you can you can stagger fees and pay them over a, a set period of time. It's usually the weekly wage of a, a very good footballer, uh, which costs you heavily and costs you heavily for a long time and you're totally committed to, and it builds up very heavily. I mean, Leeds wage bill now is way above what it was I remember when Chilino first came in, him talking about cutting the, the playing wage bill down to about £13 million pounds and, and people around him saying, look, you can do that and that'll help you to run the club in a slightly more stable manner, but you definitely won't get promoted with a wage bill of that size. It's not enough. You won't have a big enough squad, you won't have good enough players and, and kind of so it so it proved. And Chilino um, being Chilino, I'm sure he took it all on board. Yeah, absolutely. To the absolutely. Good people were offering it, to but it genuinely did fall towards that level. I mean, it's, basically 10 times as high now. You know, and, and even under Brad Rosani, in, in the end when they got promoted from the championship, it was, if memory serves me right, it was up at about 60, 70 million, something like that. So, you know, a, a big increase. Plus, plus huge incentives for when they did it, wasn't it? There was a yes. huge, and that's what Leeds have tended to do actually. They've been pretty sensible in terms of, like a lot of the wage bill is tied up in staying up bonuses, which obviously failed to do this time, but it saved us about 40 million quid, hasn't it? Well, that's, I remember us discussing, you were asking something about players, I can't remember exactly what, and I was talking about the fact that the power in football lies predominantly with them, and that is because your wages are guaranteed, you have bonuses on top of them, you have bonuses in individual games, you have bonuses for the season, there can be, there's a lot, lot of money to be made, and, and sometimes you don't actually have to achieve a huge amount to make a lot of that money, but wages are the thing, um, and wages are probably what they'll have to try and control 
more. I mean, I'm not saying they can just spend what they like in terms of transfer fees, but wages are the thing that they'll really need to keep a lid on. And am I right in thinking that when you're in the Championship, or was this just applicable to the Premier League, that basically your finishing position can broadly be assessed by whatever your wage bill is? Is this a... No, if you, if you no, score, no, no, If you score a certain number of goals. No. Um, it, it, I mean, because there, there are outliers. It, I was thinking... It won't be an exact science, yeah, but... Look, I, at, uh, look at what Luton did, for example. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But then at the same time, I'm not going to tell you that Burnley's wage bill was minuscule um, and they've they've gone up on a, a shoestring. It's it, nice that we're closing the shot where you're trying to chuck me under the bus. <laughs> just, just one last time. <laughs> Put it's, yourself under that bus down this year, with your daft stats. Lesson learned. <laughs> it, it stands to reason, doesn't it? In the way that it's not that the Premier League falls into line exactly with wage bills and, and everything else, but it, it's, it's fairly, fairly easy to explain why it is that City tend to win it and tend to be thereabouts. And when you start picking through the wage bills below them, it does fall in a certain order feels like you've kind of got to brute force your way out of the championship almost because of the sheer number of games, the fact that you've got two in most weeks. Yeah. You know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, whatever it might be, that you just need the squad and enough talent to to see your way through it. And I know like the example of Bielsa kind of ran counter to that because it was a pretty small squad, wasn't it? But the injuries were always there, weren't ah, they? But we, the results felt- didn't though. Um, I, I always felt with Leeds that in order to get out of the championship, they were going to have to destroy it and win it by about 10 points because the problem at Leeds is as soon as the pressure comes on it seems to come on more severely here than so many other places and that's particularly true in the Championship I was on the Athletic podcast and Mark Chapman was asking about you know how will it be for them in the the Championship next year and I said well the thing about Leeds is they just never have the scope to fly under the radar in the Championship they're just a target from the off and without getting into arguments about biggest clubs and this that and the other there seems to be no doubt at all that Bigger attendances at away grounds tend to turn out for, for Leeds. The games, I feel, were quite often more intense. I mean, put it this way. I went to interview Creswell at Millwall earlier this season and they were playing Blackpool. They won the game. And it was quite kind of flat at the den. You know, it was all right. But it was, um, and it was nice to sit and watch a game of football that you had no, no skin in the game for. But it wasn't the den as I know the den because every time I've been there with Leeds, it's been absolutely manic. I, I mean, just off the scale, and that's that's how it is. And I'm not saying every club is like that, but a lot of a lot of venues that you go to feel like that for Leeds. So it is tough. And and then to use the best example ever, I think that playoff against Derby is exactly how it tends to go at Leeds because when the pressure builds, it's it's horrible. So if you can get ten points out in front, and if you can stay clear of everybody else and cut the division to bits. So much the better. Can we do that, please? Yeah, let us. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> we might all enjoy next season if it was like that. You know, it, it would actually be a, a really, really good year. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We've recorded some shows this week and I was saying over and I was like, Leeds United, we've made it hard for ourselves for so long that we've kind of, we've told ourselves that that's the only way that we can do stuff. Like everything seems to, and I know this, this, I suppose the counter argument is to say, this, say that this it week, is the only yeah. way you can do this stuff, week. You know this week I mean? seems to uh, you know lend more weight to the evidence that yes, that is the way that leads do things. Everything is a struggle, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be, does it? In the right hands, you put basically have competent people in charge and, comp- and they employ competent people, and you can make it. I'm not saying you can make it look easy because the championship is not easy, but Burnley made it look easy because they went about it the right way. But we're currently going about it, trying without a sporting director or a manager. But apart from that, <laughs> it's all it's all in hand. Um, I mean, on that, Phil, do you do you know anything anything of that? Like, are we are we anywhere near an appointment? Can we be near an appointment on either of those positions without knowing the ownership? Well, the two um, the two names that are mentioned to me, sporting director wise, were Stuart Webber, um, who's at Norwich, and Kian Scott at Middlesbrough. And I'm not saying mentioned to me as in it's going to be one of those two, but they're. Two names who've been just like um, doing the rounds, yeah. yeah. Been, well, no, two names that have been discussed at Leeds, yeah. but not to the extent of saying we've one hundred percent got to have one of them. What about the bloke at Genk? Well, I was just going to say, if the Forty ers do get the club, I think they would like somebody like Rogers. I think they would, and I think there is a bit of a feeling that actually it might not be the worst thing in the world to get somebody who does have a bit of a background in that division or domestically. I think you will see Corbin come into the conversation again as he as he always seems to because he is you know he he, he was good as under 21's coach at Leeds he's done well at Huddersfield he's done pretty well at, at West Brom but as I say they, they can't actually they can't actually jump on any of this Michael put money on Coburn didn't you was it when was it last week 33 to 1 it was I thought that's worth 10 pounds yeah on the grounds that but, Angus Kinnear's got his number <laughs> that, that, was, that was literally it I thought he's the, he's the only person there he's already rung Big Sam he can't ring Bielsa anymore Heck is in the championship. Thomas Christensen's happy in Panama. Heck is in the Premier League, you mean? in the Premier League. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, Corbrand, maybe. It's does does Corbrand not represent a bit of a punt still? Yeah, I think I think he does. Um, I, I, do, I wouldn't want to be unfair, though. He has done really well at Huddersfield in that, that um, second season when he was there. They seem to like him at West Brom. Um, West Brom have a fair amount of, um, fair amount of problems, to say the least. So yes, I, I think it it would be maybe maybe it's going to be necessary for Leeds to take a bit of a punt when it comes to it, but there are probably safer options out there. Do you have it? Do you have it in your head who you would want? I what I want is for it all just to go away. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I've reached that point now where we reached the end of the season. A huge sense of relief kind of descended over me, acceptance as well, and now this is all happening. Yeah. Can't, can't they all just pack it in? And I just, what I, I think I really like at this moment, my mind is saying, just do some, do the obvious, sensible thing for once. Like if it is to be Rogers, good, put him in and just back him and let's get out of this yeah. division at the first time of asking. Stop messing about. I, I feel I'm like too, that. I'm like, tired and this, I'm stressed. This is not the summer to be ridiculously clever in at all. It's not the, the summer to be stupidly bland in either or you know formulaic. But I think there's nothing wrong, and maybe this is where Leeds have gone wrong over the years. There's nothing wrong with actually being quite conventional and doing what other people might do and doing what, what seems sensible. I mean, you're right. I, I would imagine people are pretty tired of all this. So I think you know, I may get the neurological ward to boot me back in and then I can get another two and a half months off. Okay, this get your summer. head drilled best, in. Best summer I ever just, had. Just find something to do. <laughs> um, Give me, get a reason to drill into my head. <laughs> um, but I just feel like 
we're very close to the point where something has to give. Something has to give. And I do feel sorry for the support at the moment because as much as we write this and that and much try and tell you as much as, as I know, it's not the same as getting clear, unequivocal answers from people inside the club who have the authority to answer them about what is going on and what the plan is. Do you know what I feel sorry for, Phil? Go on. Andrea Redrizani. I thought you might not, say that. Because you've not been very nice to him. Because <laughs> <laughs> I keep seeing names like mentioned in the round. And I mentioned Piro because he's, again, you, you know, you go on Twitter, you see these these accounts just uh, mentioning various names. But like, they've got the left back there, haven't they? Uh, Swansea, who's just, whose name completely Ryan Manning. That's the one who, yep. he's on, he's out on, he's available on free. Just get him. <laughs> Get all the left backs. One of them will turn well, out to be good eventually. But, but why not? I, I, the, the fact that somebody's on a free transfer is potentially an opportunity as much as uh, you know a damning indictment of of their ability. And let's face it, you know the last left back was Barcelona via, via Real Betis, Junior Filippo. It just hasn't hasn't looked anything like a Barcelona player ever in his, his time at, at Ellen Road. Although. That does rather extend the tradition of left-backs at Leeds, which is just a perennial problem. It's like being the drummer in Spinal Tap, isn't it? I was going to say, do you remember the last left-back uh, left we got on a free from Swansea? Uh, I do, yeah. It was a nice <laughs> guy, was Bissoni. It was. But, you know, and that's the important, footballer. That's but, the important thing. But again, I mean, Swansea seemed to like Bissoni. You know, he seemed to think, yeah, he's, he's good, that's a good signing for you. And then comes to Leeds and you're sat going doesn't really seem to be able to defend there's something in the water at this club though yeah, isn't there? I, there I, know, is. I know everybody thinks their club's special and I think ours is special but not in a good way sometimes there's, there's a Leeds fan <laughs> a Leeds fan I know who was talking to me about James Milner you know the, the very very brief chat um, in the last couple of weeks of the season about oh I might say no to Brighton I might, I might go for an emotional return to Leeds and he said to me it'd be the most Leeds thing ever if having let this kid go as a teenager, he finally comes back at 37 and having basically looked indestructible, as soon as he comes through the door at Ellen Road, he goes over the hill and can't, and can't cut it. Yeah. You know, we're left with it picks up a year-long injury. How has this worked for everybody else? But, um, you know, but not for us. But, um, so yeah, no, but I, I do totally see your point and, and that probably goes back to what we were saying before. It doesn't necessarily need to be wildly complicated, does it? it for me, that. At the root of this, though, is the idea that people need to have broad shoulders to succeed at Leeds. Yes. Then the ones that do, be that owner, manager, players, it's those ones that thrive, the ones that can hack the pressure, because there is always a constant pressure. Until Leeds get themselves back into the Premier League and established and without gurgling around the plug hole every year, there's always going to be pressure and demands. And even then, if we do get established in the middle section of the Premier League, people will go, this is boring, let's start pushing for Europe now. Football brings with it pressure and demands and it feels like a lot of the, the players that we've recruited and some of the some of the coaches as well have just simply just not had the minerals for the job. Maybe maybe it'd be better as well to promise less and deliver more. I look back to the, the summer of promotion and the discussions about going to do this with the stadium, thinking about doing this with the training ground. It would be nice to get into Europe in three to five years. All this kind of stuff. Kind of, it kind of takes out the the reminder that um, you do need to walk before you can run in the Premier League. And even when you learn to run, quite often you hit the hurdles like we would if us three were doing 110 metres. There's an image. <laughs> <laughs> who'd win, who'd, who'd even, win that race? Even worse image than that photo of the, the road out of Liverpool that Michael sent me the other day trying to tempt me to come on this walk next week. Uh, but that I think that's the case. You know, uh, Again, another supporter I was chatting to said... We, need to almost get out of this mindset of striving for stuff all the time. You know, sometimes it's okay to just be all right for a yeah. bit. 
And I know that's really difficult and I know it's tough in football because all right isn't very exciting. But all right is better than imploding. And I know we always end up falling back on Bielsa whenever we talk about these things, but he's one of the few examples probably in the last 20 years of somebody who has just transcended all that and has been able to succeed within that framework, you know, under all that pressure. It just, it never seemed to bother him because he's a guy who just, he was singular, wasn't he? He was single-minded. And one of the things I find with Bielsa is that I never particularly looked to the future when Bielsa was here. No. I gen- it genuinely taught me to enjoy the here and now so yeah. much as I possibly could. Taught you to enjoy the here and now. Taught you that existing players can be good players if you handle them differently. And particularly on the basis of one season. You know, if we take Cleek as an example, when he went in, in January um, over to, to Holland, I think he went to Utrecht on loan, he said to Alter, I'll be back. You know, but the, the guidance at the time was probably done. You know, I'm not sure which is legs in, in this one at all. And then, lo and behold, he turns out to be one of Bielsa's most influential players on the basis of a system that suited him in coaching that, that clearly clearly got him to to peak. And you're right, you, you did sit and watch what, what was in front of you. I always find Bielsa's management of pressure really interesting because I know managers always say, I always put myself under pressure, this, that and the other. But Bielsa seemed to pressurise himself more when things were going really well. You know, the, the better it was going for him, the harder he seemed to flog himself, you know, and, and we'd never ever give you the impression that, he never gave you the impression that he was enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? Or that it was like, oh, this is great. You know, he always just laser focused and dead set on it. And, and obviously when things are tough, there's a lot of pressure on you as well. But I think for him, he probably didn't have those massive swings of emotion because he was just fully on it all the time. And even more so when you felt like every, when you felt like everything was cruising, that was sometimes when he was, you know, he seemed at his most, not, not fractious, but you could go into press conferences where other managers would be sitting going, yeah, it's going really well and having a sort of laugh and a joke. And you'd look at him and, and he'd, he'd look almost like they were under the cosh or results weren't going particularly great because he never ever wanted to let it slip. I think a lot of managers who can say that they don't do that but he kind of demonstrated that physically you could see it in him that that's how it actually was I think you need to have an ability to back up the minerals as well just to return to what I was saying before because you you could argue that Marsh felt like he had the broad enough shoulders to to handle the club because he came in with a great deal of confidence but I was never convinced by well you never particularly in my opinion saw the fruits of, of his coaching in terms of improving players you know getting players to be better on the ball and it feels like that's been one of our big failings in the last 12 months has been a complete fall away of our in-possession abilities like the players just yeah. can't pass to each other don't seem to know where to be or ready to receive a pass that kind of and the, thing and the Premier League really finds you out with that and I yeah. think you know in fairness to Marsh you have to say that failing in the Premier League doesn't mean that you're not a good coach it doesn't mean that you don't have any coaching ability or any coaching nows but you just don't get away with shortcomings at that level and even Allardyce he was on a William Hill podcast yesterday or the day before and he was saying you know I think if I come in when they appointed Gracia you know, I, I think we'd have stayed up. Well, maybe, but I'm not sure the evidence of the four games necessarily backs that up. And I certainly don't think Sunday against Spurs backs that up either. So as you say, it's all well and good saying this stuff, but actually you you have to deliver, don't you? That's why I keep coming back to the idea of Brendan Rodgers probably being quite sensible. Yeah, I do, th- I do think that would be, I do think that would be really good. Because he's got he's that. got the shoulders to, to deal with it. Yeah. You know, a bit of swagger about him. He's been at the you know, top level. He's managed at Liverpool, among others. So... And I'm sure he still thinks of himself as a Premier League coach, and he should, really. But as with everything, and a little bit like players you go after, it's a question of what else is out there. You know, if if he gets a really good Premier League offer, then you have to say realistically, then it's, it, 
not going to come to Leeds, is he? And likewise, players, if, if there are offers that you can't compete with, say, for example, somebody, Europa League or Champions League says to Tyler Adams, you know, you could do a job for us, we want to take you, then the lure's pretty big, isn't it? And if you're mm. saying to him, oh, you know, be stick around at Leeds, lead us out of the Championship, it's a nice romantic idea, but, you know, people have to think about their, their own interests and their own careers. But it can appeal to people, can't it? Yeah, no, it the, can. The, the well, idea that Bielsa, I can come in, example. Yeah, yeah, I can come in and I can be the, the guy, I can be the guy. Yeah. I, say, I can be the guy to lead them back to the Premier League. I could be like Bielsa did it. I mean, in a plain sense, probably no better example than Pablo Hernandez. You know, who was, he kind of made this weird move out to Qatar, which he said, he always said he really enjoyed and, you know, felt, felt it was worthwhile and, and everything else. But it seemed to go from Swansea at a stage where he was still in his 20s, had plenty left to offer and was, you know, a good, good player. But then came back to Leeds and I think, I think found what he'd been missing when he was out in Qatar, which was the proper intensity of, of the way European football is and, and English football too. And there was somebody who actually, as he got older and older, okay, to the, you know, not at the point where Leeds got promoted, that was when it, it finally caught up with him. But I think it is best years at Leeds. I think the best anybody ever saw of Pablo Hernandez was the 18-19 season in particular when he just scored and, and assisted for fun. But some of what he was doing in that promotion season was a joke. I mean, there was one goal, I think it was the last day against Charlton uh, when the, t- the title was already secured, where I think for the opening goal, certainly one of the goals, he not make somebody from about 10 yards away. <laughs> you know, and it was it just got to the point with him where everything was made to look so ridiculously easy all the reverse passes and you felt like you you felt like you were really privileged having somebody like that in front of your eyes every single week you know whenever I go to the Etihad <laughs> could be a while um, <laughs> I sit next to uh, Man City guys and I say to them you get to see this every single week like every single week you get to see De Bruyne doing this Haaland doing this Gundogan you know it's like it's proper next level football and you should always really really appreciate it and I always did with Hernandez because I think in the flesh, he's the best footballer I've ever covered, without a doubt. And actually, in, you know, having followed Hearts and then followed umpteen Leeds games, I think he's the f- footballer I've most enjoyed watching ever. Yeah, one of my favourite episodes that we did actually on this show, as we come around to the last one, was when we went and spoke to Hernandez as well. And he's got that kind of, that quiet intensity. Mm-hmm. He's just that, that unknowable quality that... Brains. Yeah, that geniuses have. And we asked him, um, you can find it on this feed. Uh, we asked him, didn't we? We said, how can you do what you do? And he just says, I don't know, I just kind of... I, just a few seconds ahead, I see the pitch in a I very just, sort of yeah. humble way. Wasn't the answer yeah. just I just do it? Yeah, <laughs> just like it's just what I do. Well, as we do come up to the end of this show, and we have to close it out in a few minutes, let's leave on on this thought about the end of a cycle. It feels like, and I don't know if am I right here? Do you agree that we are coming to the end of a thing now? And what's happening with Radrazani and the ground and the ownership in general? All this stuff feels like the death throes of something. And we, we need to get to the other side of it and, and to start that cycle of renewal and move on to the next thing. Yeah, it, it was always going to end for Bielsa someday. And I think what's really disappointing is that what's happened since has, has just been worse. You know, and, and so many wrong decisions and so many backward steps ultimately ending up with, with them in the championship. And it, and it does it does look to me like a, a textbook case of a club who need a completely fresh start. And I mean, that speaks for itself on the basis of how many vacant positions there are that are in the club and, and how much needs to change at, at various different levels. But I think you I think you're right. I think that's exactly where they are and I think it needs to happen very quickly. Yep, sooner the better. It can't it can't go on like this for too much longer or we're gonna very quickly be in this in the position of uh, of ruining next season. Well there you go, that wraps up the Phil Hay show. 
for good. Yes, I, I, honestly, really, really big thank you to everybody who's listened, which seems quite odd to say because we'll be back in yeah. a week. Steve, you've given me all of a week off, which is really kind. <laughs> only, only that because you guys just, are going to try and kill yourself again. The, yeah, doing the, chari- mile walk, yeah, the yeah. charity walk. We are doing another charity walk, this time from Premier League Everton's ground uh, back to Ellen Road, uh, which will be fun. Uh, but I also feel like we can't really take too long off because it just this place never sleeps it never stops no. I mean, fr- from our point of view this will be no different us three will still be here and we'll be doing the show we're going to be doing it over on the square ball feed uh, because we're uh, producing it for ourselves in future rather than the athletic it will also be on YouTube as well which is the good news that's, yes. that's coming out of this so uh, we will be back after the break but yeah it's been an absolute pleasure Phil and thanks again to everybody at the athletic who we've kind of worked with and has collaborated and supported us on the show it's been a pleasure. Even if this season hasn't, it's been great fun doing this. It is. It's always a good laugh. And as I said, really appreciate the audience who've uh, who've stuck with us. And yeah, we'll see you on the other side. The Phil Hay Show. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.